And welcome to the Football Cypher here on Football Game Plans Podcast Network. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. You can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. And if you're not familiar to what a rap cypher is, it's a crowd that forms and freestyle raps as they pass the mic around. Well, it's the same thing here, except there won't be any rapping going on. We'll just pass the mic around and keep the football takes flowing. And make sure to subscribe to the Football Game Plan Podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. That's where you can find all of our many different shows. You can also find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And finally, don't forget to check out and subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network on YouTube located at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. And this is part three of our Behind the Chains, the Mis-Evaluation of the Black Quarterback podcast, which will be a 360 discussion on the uniqueness of being a black quarterback and the constant struggle to succeed against a stacked deck. So let me introduce those that will be in the cypher with us once again. Football game plan analyst Chris James. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CJFlorida9. Gene Clemens. You can follow him on Twitter at Gene Clemens. Teron Davenport at TDavenport underscore NFL. And Brandon Howard at BHoward underscore 81. So now that we have set the table, it's time to get things started. Gene, I'll let you kick this one off with your burning question. Well, we, we've seen in recent and even even beyond recently um the rot the meteoric rise of the small college quarterbacks um however outside of maybe if we want to consider if we want to consider you know um a guy like um steve mcnair a a small college quarterback there hasn't been a meteoric rise of a black quarterback up the ranks even though we've seen some phenomenal performances from um, minorities at the lower, let's say, FCS um, level. And we haven't seen any of those guys ascend to a first-round pick. And I'm wondering why do you think it is that we haven't seen those guys reach those levels like their white counterparts? I think a lot of this is obviously due to some of the uh, preferable traits, but Another thing that you have to take into consideration is how much the agents come into play. You have a guy like a Carson Wentz who makes a a rise like he did. You have a guy like Blake Bortles who made a rise before that. And a lot of it was due to an agenda. You know, you have Mike Mayock who just pushed Carson Wentz and pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And then next thing you know, he's considered uh, entering the uh, the senior bowl, a, a top prospect. So I look at it from both ways. I look at it from the agenda of of the agents, but I also look at it just from, I mean, make no mistake about it, in order to be a black quarterback and get into this league, you have to be like Steve McNair was, you know, from a small school. uh, If you want to call Alcorn a a small school, you have to be someone who's getting Heisman candidate uh, consideration. And other than that, you know, Kyle Washington, you look at him from Angelo State, he had all the measurables, 6'5", 220, 205, whatever his weight was, and he was forced to move the receiver. So I think really it's all about just the the agenda that, that is pushed and, and the preferable traits, which comes down to having the, the skin to win, so to speak. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there, Teron. And uh, also, uh, I'm going to take it a step before that. Um, you look at what happens at the high school level. And a lot of these guys end up, you know, these these high school quarterbacks, they end up 
going to the FCS level or are going to division the D division two ranks because division one schools didn't didn't try to recruit them at the quarterback position. So they already have to start off behind the eight ball with the lack of recognition, lack of notoriety, when they're every bit as good as the quarterbacks that come into um, you know college football and get those D1 scholarships. Um, so you know you're you're already slated as a dual threat guy, and you know more than likely a lot of teams are recruiting those type of guys at different positions, and those are the ones that are, they end up. Their only hope to play Division One is to play receiver, cornerback, something of that sort. So you're starting off behind the eight ball once you go to a Division II uh, school. You're not going to get the recognition until you start putting up eye-popping numbers. Then you start doing that, suddenly, you know, you, you know, you're starting to look at the NFL. You know, can he, you know, play in the, at the NFL level? And then all of a sudden, the things that people praise Carson Wentz for, when you are a black quarterback, those things are, are overlooked oftentimes. You're not given the credit you know, for being a leader. You're not given the credit for having poise. They'll say, oh, well, he did it at a lesser level of competition, so it may not translate. So you don't see them get elevated, you know, to the level of stardom that a Carson Wentz did. You don't see them get the public recognition the way Carson Wentz did leading up through the draft process. So, and let's call it like it is. Oftentimes, these evaluators, I, I don't, you know, that you see on major networks, they get paid by agents to push a particular player. That happens often. So don't, don't get it confused. It happens a lot. So when you see, you know, these guys that come out of nowhere, it's not really coming out of nowhere. It's planned, they have agendas, and it's for a reason. So um, that's why oftentimes you do not see the black quarterback pushed in that way. They're already starting behind the eight ball, coming from the high school ranks, then forced to probably play Division two in order to play the, the position. And then no one's going to really look their way after that. Completely agree. And it's, it's, it's a tie back. I'm glad you went there, Brandon. Look, perception is reality. So if the perceptive nature of a kid who is, happens to be black playing quarterback in high school is that they're only playing the position because they're the best athlete on the field instead of maybe, I don't know, the best leader, the best thinker, the crux of the team then the, the perception is going to play itself out in that manner. So when they do go into a larger school, like you said, they're going to be converted to another position because they want to use that quote-unquote athleticism to get them on the field. Instead of actually doing their job as coaches, which is to, I don't know, coach, make those kids better. If you think it's a finished product when they come out of high school, then you're, you're already starting off in the wrong direction. And so they go to these smaller schools and they don't have the money even if they have the quality of coach, they just don't have that exact uh, amount to put forth to train and get bigger and whatnot. And also they don't have the exposure. So yes, on that level, on the first portion, the collegiate level, they get downplayed. And sometimes some of their confidence gets destroyed. Some of their uh, awareness of the quarterback because they're converted to another position gets destroyed. But then as Teron said, <laughs> it's a money move. Who's marketable? Who's going to be sold to a nation that is three-fifths, three which is an interesting little uh, fraction, another time for another show, but three-fifths of the population happens to be white. It's going to be the white guy that they can actually uh, tie onto, that they can, they, can, they can feel what they're going through. So that guy's going to be marketable. 
That guy's going to get the better agent. That guy's going to have a situation or the agent that has more connections. That guy's going to get the situation to be pushed forward and put in front of us. It's kind of like the stars rating for any player going from high school to college. You get a four-star athlete, he's going to be, quote-unquote, more respected than a two-star, even if he's not as good just because of how it's packaged for you. And these meteoric rises, the only time that I've seen any black quarterback get that meteoric rise, and it's not really a meteoric rise, is when they have a story that you can attach to make the heartstrings of America kind of feel for him. The Dak Prescott's of the world, and he still didn't go to the fourth round from a major school. So that's the only time where I've seen any pub given to him. Otherwise, you're not going to see it happen because it just doesn't fly from a marketing standpoint for these people. They're not going to make money off of these black quarterbacks coming from historically black schools like they would off of a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who all of us were there to watch Jimmy Garoppolo be mediocre at practice for the senior uh, for the uh, East West Shrine game and nothing against him. He tried, but he was mediocre. And all of a sudden, Jimmy Garoppolo was lifted to the, to the MVP of that game or whatever he was. And in the second round, and it had all to do with connections and selling a player like they want to sell him. And they're still selling that player, man, because this dude, I don't think he's ever played. <laughs> like It's funny when you – I think I've seen more of him on the sideline as opposed to in games. So, But in all seriousness, it's interesting because the Carson Wentz thing was unique because if you just looked at it – if you watched a lot of North Dakota State like we did – you saw no difference between Carson Wentz and Brock Jensen. They even had the same numbers. And they also won two championships apiece. So why would Brock Jensen have to go toil in the on a practice squad for the Dolphins and things like that and then go ultimately play in the CFL when Carson Wentz was catapulted to the first round? Um, and I didn't understand, well, what's the difference between Brock Jensen and Carson Wentz, they played the same game. Maybe because, uh, you know, Wentz was 6'5", 235. But, you know, this is coming out of nowhere, out of North Dakota State. And then, like Chris said, out of Eastern Illinois with Jimmy Garoppolo. But it's funny because this is an interesting question, Gene, because you have a situation last year. Remember we started to hear little rumbles about, uh, Grambling's quarterback, Devontae Kincaid, the former Ole Miss transfer, led Grambling to the Celebration Bowl, black college national champion. You know, this guy can do it all. Last year, 63% completion percentage, 8.9 yards in attempt, 31 touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, when in a class that really lacks star power outside of Lamar Jackson, and you can make it – it's funny to see Baker Mayfield make this rise. So – you can make a case for Mayfield and Rosen. But in all honesty, this class needs a, a star. So there's room for someone to make a meteoric rise from a small school. You don't hear Devontae Kincaid's name at all. At all. And and quietly right now, 10 games in, Grambling is 9-1, and one, a steamroller toward another celebration bowl. And he has 18 touchdowns, three interceptions, um, completion percentages at 61%. He's doing the same exact thing that he did last year in leading his football team back to a potential second black college national championship. He's 6'1", 190. So you don't even hear anything about, hey, keep an eye on this guy. You don't hear a peep. And you heard a little bit about him 
in the summertime from who? None other than Bucky Brooks. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Bucky Brooks once again. So I find it interesting that, yes, this is a guy that has the story. He has the pedigree. He has the track record of success, yet he's non-existent on, on anybody's radar. You only hear the same stories. And if you're talking about small school, you hear the two other guys that are constantly being trotted out there and Kyle Loletta out of Richmond and Jeremiah Briscoe from Sam Houston State. Nationally, that's it. And a lot of people were talking about Devontae Kincaid in the summer. So I, I don't know what happened between now and then. He clearly, in my opinion, should be at least a Shrine game invite or an NFL P8 game invite, but you probably won't see that. I just don't understand why you know, you don't see this type of push for someone that has that track record of success. Because to be honest, when, when it was Carson Wentz here, we didn't hear a peep about Wentz in 2015. All of this was just coming from 2016. And to be honest, he played the same way in 2016 that he did in 2015, except in 2015, he played a full season. In 2016, he missed right. eight games. So yep. I don't get it, man. I, I really It is mind-blowing to me. Well, and, and all of you guys have, have, have brought up some great points. Um, <clears throat> Chris, the story, the story aspect is always interesting to me. You think about, um, you said Dak Prescott, but we could go much further than that. Teddy Bridgewater had a story um, coming out, and they still tried to devalue him. Deshaun Watson had a story coming out. They still tried to devalue him. Um, and so you see it. You see it all the time when it comes to uh, minority quarterbacks. Um, quite honestly, and, and even going beyond just the black quarterback, let's go to somebody like Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez had a story, and and he came back. I mean, he tried to come out, and they tried to devalue him. And he was uh, a Hispanic um, guy who essentially had had pretty much tried to ingratiate himself to the white community to where you wouldn't even look at him as a Hispanic American anymore. Um, and so – when you think about those things and, and those narratives that they put out there, you can see um, there's not a level playing field. But I I have to go back to this, and this is the part where I think that um, black quarterbacks have to take some of the um, onus on themselves. And I've said this before to you guys, and I've said it to anyone who, who, who will listen. The black quarterback has to be willing to die with their position. And I think that a lot of the times, what 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 trips us up from having some of our best our best quarterbacks play the position is that somebody gets in their ear and tells them you'll have a better chance of going to the NFL if you're at another position and so they're not willing to die with their position i'll give i'll give um i'll give Carson Wentz um this credit and many people believe that i have i, I like hate on Carson Wentz and Emory, you know, I was talking about Carson Wentz before he was ever even a starter before um, for North Dakota State. So that's that's asinine to me um, when people say that. I just never saw the improvement that you that I would think that I would see from a guy who I was talking about before he was a starter to now two years later after he's already been starting. Um, but Carson Wentz was willing to die being a quarterback. He had no offers from anywhere except for North Dakota State. Um, he went to North Dakota State knowing that he was going to have to back up a guy, not for one year, not for two years, but for three years, he was going to be the backup to a guy. He redshirted, he spent two years on the bench, and then he got his opportunities to play. 
that was a guy who was willing to die with his position. Um, what we find in our communities is that there is the there is the need to be um to get your shine on. And so because of that, a lot of our black quarterbacks at the high school level who could be a high level quarterback, but they're being devalued because they they had they have elite athleticism that a and a high level FBS team wants to use at another position. Instead of saying, you know what, screw that. I'm going to go to a lower level school. I'm going to go to a HBCU. I'm going to go to an FCS school. They say, you know what? I'll train. I'll, I'll switch positions. I'll go play wide receiver at Florida, or I'll go play. Um, I'll go play tight end at Auburn because I want to play at the highest level. I want to have the shine for signing at the highest level, and and they forsake their 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 um their love or their passion for playing quarterback and then you see guys like um you see guys like Lamar Jackson who've only ever played quarterback in their entire life and people bring up the thought process of him playing wide receiver and he looks at them as if they have four heads because this man's been playing quarterback since he was four years old he doesn't know anything else he's willing in my opinion a guy like Jackson's willing to die at least I hope he is I hope that he's willing to die with his position. And I think when 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 our black quarterbacks begin to start wanting to die with their position, you'll start to see more higher level guys at a lower level at the FCS level, um at the HBCU level where okay, now you're going to see more Devontae Kincaid's um sitting down. You won't just see him at Grambling, you'll see him at Tennessee State as well. You'll see him at Howard as well. You, we may have one blooming at Howard in, in the young Newton um, who, who decided to go there instead of going to an FBS school to play another position. He decided to go to Howard and, and, and be a quarterback because that's what he identifies with most. Um, I think when we see that, hopefully we'll start to see more guys, maybe not make a meteoric rise because I believe everything you guys said is true, but I think we'll, we'll start seeing more candidates to where we can have a legitimate conversation and say, why are these guys, instead of why is this guy not getting a look, we can say, why are these guys not getting a look? Um, and so I think that, 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 that has a lot to do with it when it comes to, hey, am I willing to play the position even if it means I'm going to cost myself the opportunity of being a, a, a player on Alabama's team or if it's going to cost me an opportunity to be a, a first round or second round draft pick. Um, I look at a guy and 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 I want to leave it here, but I look at a guy like Deshaun Watson, and you look at his measurables, and then you look at a guy like Deion Kane, who's his wide receiver. Deion Kane played quarterback his entire life. Deion Kane then, he, during his junior year in high school, went to a seven on seven where he was the backup quarterback. And a guy got hurt, and he filled in at wide receiver down in Miami and had about two or three spectacular catches. He went from a three-star quarterback to a four-star athlete. And from there, the lights got in his eyes, and all of a sudden, all he thought was, I'm a wide receiver. I'm going to go play wide receiver. Now, from a money standpoint, 
and him and him being able to get to the league, is he wrong to to take advantage of what people think he can be the most successful at? I'm not saying he's wrong, but there's no reason why he could not have been Kelly Bryant right now. There's no reason why he couldn't have been the heir apparent um, at, at Clemson at quarterback. He has the exact same physical um, traits as Deshaun Watson and quiet as is kept has a cannon for an arm, a cannon. He had an opportunity to be a great FBS quarterback, but those lights got in his eyes. And if you notice, when he first got to Clemson, he had some problems because he was all about the show. He wanted to be a part of it. But once he started calming down, we see how good of a player he is. We know he's going to play on Sundays, but there's no reason why he couldn't be playing on Sundays as a quarterback. Well, just to, just to wrap it up right quick, Gene, um, we all mentioned Steve McNair. And it's interesting because during his story, I want to say certain teams at the Big 8 Conference, which is now the Big 12, wanted him as a safety. You know, And he wanted to go and play quarterback, so he chose Alcorn State. I mean, just like you'll see, I, I, and we talked about this in the FCS kickoff when we do the preseason previews and we look at the recruiting trail. Um, and across the swag, I saw a lot of 6'4", 225, 6'3", 225, 6'2", 230 quarterbacks, legit studs sign at that level. So maybe we're starting to see what you're talking about, Gene, where, where guys like, you know what, nah, I, I kind of want to stay at quarterback, and that's what's going to have to happen in order for it to change. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're fresh off the heels of uh, what happened to Tyrod Taylor today. Uh, he was benched in favor of, um, you know, the, the quarterback that they brought in through the draft, uh, Mr. Peterman. And um, obviously we all kind of disagree with that. So um, my question here uh, for the panel is uh, why are black quarterbacks routinely asked to um, thrive in offenses devoid of weapons or teams that just that really don't have that much talent mm -hmm. um, you know and they don't necessarily get the benefit of the of the doubt uh, when there's no supporting cast so uh, just uh, what what are you guys thoughts uh, in in that area okay uh, do you mind if I do, do a two-part on this particular question because you brought up something that uh, got under my skin earlier when I saw it today the Tyra Taylor situation sure uh, so I'm going to address that quickly, and then I'll answer your question. I'm going to need about a minute and 15 seconds. So basically, I got news earlier today that Tyrod Taylor had been benched in favor of Nathan Peterman. I have nothing against Nathan Peterman, and I actually thought he did a decent job at the Senior Bowl last year. But he was a low-round pick for a reason. So let's look at the situation. Buffalo is currently 5-4. and four. Winning record, to my knowledge. You got a quarterback who, to my knowledge, has only thrown three interceptions this year and has actually played pretty well statistically. You have a situation where you're in the middle midst of a playoff push, yet you decide to bench him for a rookie. Interesting. You're in the same state with another team that is actually behind you at four and six that has a couple of young guys that they're refusing to roll out there because they're still, as they said, still competitive in a playoff push with a journeyman quarterback named Josh McCown. You have another team that is actually in the perfect position for putting in a rookie who actually was drafted before Mr. Peterman and Davis Webb, even if I don't agree with it. Yet they did not sit him down, Mr. Eli Manning, with a one and nine team in favor of Webb so they could find out they have what they need at the quarterback position to replace Eli. Then let's go to another team that actually has another playoff chance, but they have a quarterback so bad that his name became synonymous 
with terrible quarterback play. If you haven't heard it before, it's called Bortling. That's Blake Bortles down at Jacksonville. He's been throwing the ball down in the dirt for the last two years in a row, and they refused to sit him down, even though Doug Marone, before the season, said, I'd like to throw the ball exactly zero times. Very interesting that Tyrod Taylor gets shut down with all these guys. And yes, he played poorly against the Saints, but who has not as a quarterback since they've gone to seven-game streak? And by the way, if anyone watched that game and the game prior, Tyrod Taylor played exactly zero downs on that defensive line, which was a sham in both games. And he did not play on the O-line, which even Richie Incognito would tell you they play below their par in the game against the Jets. So how is this Tyrod Taylor's fault? I don't know either. Lucky for him, he's done with the Bills organization because that trash organization at this point has exactly what they want, a Pats 6-10 and 10 record. So back to what I was going to say as far as answering your question. I feel like all the negatives that are poured on a black quarterback and all the hoops you have to jump through are used as a detriment to them when they have the opportunity. Knowing that they have a certain level of, let's say, athleticism and escapability and adaptability, they're going to use that, or they do, some teams use that, to be deficient in areas so that they can be superior in other areas. So they give mediocre offensive linemen. They'll draft offensive linemen who haven't played football since eighth grade. They'll draft other guys that played basketball or D-line. And they'll put them in front of a guy like, I don't know, Russell Wilson. They'll tell Cam Newton, hey, we have this guy who was a quarterback who got moved to receiver who still doesn't know how to play receiver yet, and Russell Shepard, we're going to make you his new number two. He's he's your new number two receiver. We're going to take Dak Prescott and say, okay, we're just going to pretend like it's just you and it's just uh, just all the pieces around you. But when those pieces deteriorate, well, he's got to do better. Well, okay, how was it he wasn't good enough when he had the pieces, but now that he doesn't and he's still playing pretty decent, oh, well, he's got to do better. It feels like teams use the excuse that they put against these guys to move to other positions as a way to put them in positions to not be successful. And I'm not saying that they're doing it solely to make them unsuccessful. They're doing it because they know they have the opportunity to dial back in a capped sport in those arenas to build up their defense or build up another portion of the team and pay those guys because they know that that black athletic quarterback can hold down the fort, even with mediocre players around him. What's interesting is that we, we see it play out time and time again. You know, you can go back to Geno Smith who had more weapons at West Virginia than he did with the New York jets. And the only thing that you heard, even though his rookie season, I think they went seven and nine or eight and eight, something like that. Uh, oh, well, you know, well, we still got to see if he's the guy, you know, we got to, you know, we got to see, you know, we don't know if he's a guy yet, you know, They're like, you know, how they, how they go, how they do with that. Then what they do in a draft. Okay. Well, maybe they can add some weapons around, help them out. No, they go get defense and offensive linemen and go back out there with Curly and the rest of the crew, you know, and expect this dude to do the same thing. Then the third year, they finally go and get weapons. They get Brandon Marshall. They, you know, the Eric Decker is coming back healthy because the last two seasons of his second, I mean, the last two games of his, of his uh, last four games of his second season, Gino was on a roll. So he was trekking in the right direction. And then here comes Brandon Marshall along with Eric Decker 
Quincy and Yoon was, was also added to the roster to the mix. He was going to be healthy. They had a tight end in place. They brought in Matt Forte, and then he has an incident in the locker room. And all of a sudden, well, see, this is why you can't win. And so Fitzpatrick goes out there and throws 31 touchdowns and 16 picks. And people are like, well, see, that's what they needed. They needed a quarterback. But when it came down to need-to-win situations, when and you're in the playoffs, Fitzpatrick did exactly what Fitzpatrick did through three costly interceptions to lose in the game. And Geno Smith is now relegated to being a backup. You saw it in Buffalo. I'm still trying to figure out why E.J. Manuel was benched in favor of Kyle Orton, even though no one on this on this panel thought that E.J. Manuel was supposed to be a first-round pick. But at least have him or at least give him the opportunity to fail and that's what you don't see you better win the super bowl or you're going to be gone russell wilson did exactly that and he still was like well you we don't know if he's a guy you know i mean he run defense and and run game and defense you know i mean you know he we don't know but last year golf played probably the worst quarterback you can play at the position and all you heard was yeah, he's terrible, but you can't really see what Jeff Fisher needs help and weapons. Wentz was playing up and down. All you heard was, hey, you know, he's you know he set the he set the record for the most times completed footballs on the right hash mark throwing the out route. So I mean, nobody ever done that in history, you know. So they found the nuance, right? Fat Dak was always Dak had his team. Keep in mind, this was the same team that led them to the fourth overall pick. But Dak, all you heard was. And, you know, they got the run game, got the, that old line, you know, that, that old line, that, that defense. You know, it's always something else, right? You see it right now with the Browns, with Deshaun Kaiser. People forget he was balling in the preseason, earned the job, snatched it away from those average quarterbacks that they have on a roster because he has talent. Gets out there in the first game. If it wasn't for Kenny Britt drop ball, hey, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one. And we saw him last week against the Detroit Lions do a great job until he got knocked out of the game and had to miss two series in which those were the two series that Detroit went up two touchdowns, right? So, but now it's all about, oh, they got it. I mean, look, look look at this guy. You know, we got to go get another guy out there. Mayfield, you know, number one, you know, Rosen, you know, all those dudes right there. So all of a sudden, Kaiser trash. But when they get Rosen or take a Mayfield, then they'll instantly look at the receivers like, well, you can't put Mayfield out there with Kenny Britt. You can't put Mayfield out there with Ricardo Lewis. No, you got to get the, that boy some help and weapons. So guys like black quarterbacks are always expected to be above and beyond great. They literally have to be Superman. And the saying goes twice as good, half as much. Russell Wilson still does not get credit for making Seattle a perennial Super Bowl contender you know Vic doesn't get the credit for what he did in Atlanta if it's funny that once he went to jail Roddy White figured out you know I better start catching the football because he never put talent around Michael Vic and Donovan McNabb played in Philadelphia with let's call it what it is a bunch of number threes and fours at receiver they never really the one year they added a legit number one around him they go to the Super Bowl so I just it's so blatantly obvious now. I mean, Deshaun Watson literally was, he's worth 30 points a game. That's, we've seen that. So when Peterman gets out there and throws checkdowns and doesn't have the rushing yards or doesn't have the ability to extend the play, 
if they want to go back to Tyrod Taylor and with the same pack of junkyard dog receivers they got out there now, they're going to be like, well, I mean, well, you know, we, we at least we could put a uh, tail out there because, you know, we got to get help and weapons for Peterman. Like, so if somebody is supposed to be that good and supposed to be the difference maker, I thought you're supposed to make people around you better, right? But we all know that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. I can't make you better. You know, either you trash or you not. And we see with these black quarterbacks, they it, they can't not only have a bad game like Tyrod Taylor had against the Saints, one of the best defenses in the league, they can't throw two incompletions in a row before people start questioning whether or not they can legit put together a sentence. You know, so it, it's obvious now we see it. And it's unfortunate that every black quarterback in the league currently and entering the league will have to face that that double standard. And that's well said, Emery. Um, and, and Chris, I, I echo what both of you were saying. Um, a few years ago, I wrote a um article about Tyrod Taylor earning earning the starting quarterback um spot in Buffalo and how I thought that it was a watershed moment for the black quarterback on rarely have you ever seen a black quarterback go from on what would be considered a path of career backup to a starter um that that has has only really been um something that has been reserved for their white counterparts um you're seeing it now in 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 minnesota where all of a sudden case keenum People are saying, oh, man, Case Keenum, how could you ever even think about um, benching Case Keenum? Even even people who understand the hypocrisy of the double standard, um, like Michael Smith on on um, the six. Oh, well, I don't even understand why it's a conversation um, about going back to Teddy Bridgewater um, when when Case Keenum has this is Case Keenum's team right now. And. And I'm sitting back and thinking, I'm like, I know why they're thinking about putting Teddy Bridgewater back in because the last time Teddy Bridgewater was in the game, he put his team in position to go to the to go to the NFC championship game if it wasn't for the most bonehead, you know, stuff I've ever seen done at the end of a game by defensive special teams. So that's why they're talking about going back to Teddy Bridgewater, because Teddy Bridgewater uh, embodies everything that they say they want in a quarterback. He's a winner. He's a gamer. He makes good decisions. He takes care of the ball. He he he's got moxie. He's got flair. All of those all of those words they use for um his white counterparts when they lack something of the actual you know tangible or quantifiable skills. They they use all of those words. Well, all of those words that you that you can use for them. Teddy Bridgewater has those in spades. So I understand why there's a debate on why they should possibly think about going back to Teddy Bridgewater. But going more into, into what we're saying, and this is a travesty what they've done to Tyrod Taylor. They really have just um, been so so utterly disrespectful to him. First, they take him out the game last year in order to try to keep from having to pay him money because they don't want him um, you know, to hit his escalators. Then in the offseason, he has surgery. They want to make sure they get him back because they don't want to have to guarantee his money. Then they make him rework his contract so that he takes less money this year. They take away, essentially, outside of the running back and the tight end, 
all of the rest of his weapons. Then get rid of several key defensive players on the team. That doesn't work. Tyrod's still winning games. Tyrod's still winning games. They're 5-2. and two. So what do they do? They get rid of the starting defensive tackle who just happens to be an all-pro caliber defensive tackle. And they run up against New Orleans who can't even figure out how to run the ball, who says, man, if they're going to play the run this bad, we might as well run the ball. They get the ball ran all over them. And last time I checked, I don't think Tyrod Taylor plays defensive tackle. I don't think he plays linebacker, nor does he play um, strong safety. So how is he stopping New Orleans from running the ball? But this is what they do. Well, Tyrod Taylor had a bad game. He only threw for 50-something yards. Well, man, he, I mean, how much did he really have the ball? Um, when he did try to throw the ball, who the hell was he throwing it to? I mean, uh, Cal- Calvin Benjamin, who they traded for inconspicuously, you, you get rid of an actual legitimate deep threat, and you bring in a guy who's a jump ball guy, who's a hitch guy. And you're wondering why you can't have any dynamic plays in the pass game. He can't just throw the ball to Shady McCoy every time and expect McCoy to go for 80 yards. That's not how the NFL works. I digress. So when we look at when we look at these at these quarterbacks and we look at how they have to be superhuman, just think about what they've done to successful black quarterbacks in the NFL. Cam Newton has never had an elite level number one receiver. He's also never had an elite level left tackle. Two of the things that you that people say you have to have when you have a quarterback. You get a quarterback, you get him a left tackle, you get him a number one receiver. Who has been the most productive, most successful receiver in Cam Newton's time? It's been Ted Ginn Jr. Not, and I'm not talking about tight end. Let's keep tight end out of it because they, they have a good tight end and he uses the tight end well. But as far as a number one receiver, the most productive receiver that he's had is Ted Ginn Jr. Every time Ted Ginn Jr. ends up with Cam Newton, he ends up being a thousand yard, um, you know, double digit touchdown receiver. Cam Newton is responsible for Ted Ginn Jr. having a career. Ted Ginn Jr. would not have a career if it wasn't for for Cam Newton because you know and I know Ted Ginn Jr. struggles with catching the ball, but for some reason he can catch the ball from Cam Newton. So they've never given him they've never given him the proper protection or the proper weapons to be successful, and he's still successful. Russell Wilson played for essentially like a bag of peanuts and a, and a hand job, and the entire time that, that he was out there, they were steady stacking the defense. Oh, defense and running, defense and running. So much to the point where they said, oh, we're going to help you out. We're going to help you out. We're going to go get you a tight end who can't block, a one-dimensional tight end who only, who only catches jump balls, but we're going to trade away your starting center. We're going to trade away the guy who makes all the line calls in front of you, your starting center, the guy who's the quarterback of your offensive line. Oh, by the way, we're not going to equip you with anybody on the offensive line that's, that's worth a damn. We're going to give you defensive linemen and convert it on rugby players and whatever else we can find to put out there for you. These are the things that they've had to deal with their entire career. And, and at, every, at every turn, they're criticized, and all they've done, and we're talking about the two best 
in the business when it comes to the quarter, the quarterback position. Two guys who get it done um, two different ways, they've still, they've still made it happen. But Andrew Luck needs weapons. Andrew Luck needs offensive linemen. And yet the only thing that they've done is draft offensive linemen and wide receivers for Andrew Luck ever since he's been in the league. And yet he still needs he still needs weapons and he still needs offensive linemen. There was a, a 41-year-old, a 41-year-old Matt Hasselbeck that came in there and lit the thing up with those same non-weapons and same no offensive line that Andrew Luck had. They brought in, help me out with his name, Emory from Kansas State, um, former Buck. I'm going blank on it right now. Josh Freeman. Josh Freeman, thank you very much. They brought in Josh Freeman off the street who lit it up with those same weapons or non-weapons in that same offensive line. And now we're seeing Jacoby Brissett make people think, do we really need Andrew Luck back with those same wide receivers and that same offensive line that, that wasn't good enough for Andrew Luck and couldn't keep him upright? So we see that hypocrisy all over the place. Um, I don't think it's something that's going away because I really do believe that it's a uh, – I don't even know if it's done – I don't even know if it's conscious. I think it's just subconscious. They say, hey, let's get more protection for this guy because he can't protect himself as well as maybe these um, minority quarterbacks can. And I think it's sad because it really does um, – it really does show that there's not a there, – there's not, there's not equality at the position, especially when it comes to – um, things that make a quarterback successful in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to go over with this. Uh, I think when you look at this Tyra Taylor situation, I, I I really cram to understand why he was benched. And you guys mentioned it. This is a team that in two weeks almost gave up 500 yards rushing. They gave up 298 yards rushing to the Saints. And, and these are some of the some things I mentioned on social media. And someone had the nerve to say, okay, well, Tyrod and the offense, they had a bunch of three and outs. Okay, but what does that have to do with the defense manning up and, and stopping the opposing offense? What can you do when you have the football for 20 out of 60 minutes of football? The Saints had the ball for 40 minutes. So I don't care what you try to say about Tyra. That that loss was on the strength of the defense. And for people to sit here and, and actually try to blame that on Tyra, I understand he had a negative, uh, not a negative, but he, he didn't have the best performance. But think about this. You're complaining about three and outs. But you're not focusing on a defense that gave up almost 300 yards. Giving up 200 yards is crazy. They gave up almost 300 rushing. So before all the blame is pointed at Tyrod Taylor, I think really what you have to do is put the blame on the team. Because that record that they got, guess who was the quarterback? Under center, when they got to that point where they were in playoff contention, where they were considered a, a, a threat to the Patriots. It was Tyrod Taylor, not Peterman. And then you have these morons posting videos of defenses in 
I'm ready to get on the bus to the airplane back home defenses against Nate Peterman. And you say, oh, well, that's what, what they want. Stop. It's, it's ridiculous. So my thing with this whole, whole situation is you have guys that are put in, in different uh, situations and they're expected to do so much more. And I think the ultimate comparison for this whole thing that we're talking about I'm a fan of both of their games. I really like Dak Prescott. I really like Carson Wentz. But let's talk about it. Last year, when Dak Prescott was balling out, mind you, he's doing the same this year. Let's not forget that. But last year when Prescott was, as a rookie, playing like he's been in the league for 10 years, everybody said, oh, well, you know, he has Des Bryant, who missed a couple games last year, by the way. Oh, he has Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, he has the offensive line. No one gave this guy credit for what he's done, right? But he and Carson Wentz are always going to be tied. So you look at Carson Wentz, and last year, what was the rallying cry? Well, he didn't have his right tackle. Oh, um, he doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to. Never mind Zach Ertz is one of the, the best tight ends in the league and was a, a legit threat last year. Oh, uh, you know, we just need to surround him with weapons. You have to be patient with him. So now you fast forward to this year. They acquired Alshon Jeffrey. You got Nelson Aguilar, who, you know, is playing much better than he has played. You got a running game because, by the way, they're number two or three in the NFL running the football. You also have a defense that's number one in stopping the run and a top 10 in, in points given up. You have a special teams that's, that's really good. And, yes, you do have a quarterback that's playing very well. But why is it that now it's not about having weapons? It's all about what he's doing as a quarterback. But what are they doing to Dak this year? Oh, well, you know, he doesn't have uh, – uh, uh, you see what he could do w w without – you know, when he has to win the game on his own. Uh, you might want to check the internet because you'll see when you look at statistics, he's up there in touchdowns. You'll see that he only threw two interceptions. Yeah, last week was a tough game. The, the game against the Falcons was a tough game. One guy got six sacks. Adrian Claiborne made $750,000 because of that performance against the Cowboys. Literally, incentives in his contract, right? He's running for his life. What do you expect the man to do? So my whole thing is this. It, it just amazes me, and I wanted to point this situation out because it amazes me how what's good for one is not good for the other. The fact of the matter is both of these guys are really good quarterbacks. That's really what it boils down to. They're good. But why is it that what's a, a, a crutch for Wentz is not a crutch for Prescott? That's the thing I, I just can't understand. And then you, you look at some of these other guys and the situations that they put in. I remember back in, uh, was it 2012, the only only – because there was a stretch where Crabtree was out in 2013. And uh, Kaepernick, it, you know, his his 
offense was hand the ball off to Frank Gore or throw to Vernon Davis. And everybody said, oh, well, you know, they figured Kaepernick out. They did this. They did that. And, yeah, he had Anquan Bolden on, on the team as well. But everybody said, oh, well, you know, he's been figured out. When the fact of the matter was he lost a lot of his weapons. So if we're going to sit here and use that excuse for an Andrew Luck, if we're going to sit here and use that excuse for a, a Joe Flacco, you know, I don't understand why that can't be something that could be is not applied to a Colin Kaepernick, to, you know, a, a Tyra Taylor in his situation. It just amazes me how when you look at wins, a quarterback like a Josh McCown, who is not a winner, a quarterback like a uh, uh, a Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is not a winner, has a losing record. It just amazes me how that situation is always Oh well, you know he's a leader. He he's a gamer. He's always going to keep your team. Brian Hoyer is the ultimate example. He's always going to keep your team in 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 position to get the win. But what does he do when it's time to win? He throws a daggone interception. Why is it okay for him, but it's not okay for Vince Young? Look at the weapons he had. Uh, I mean, Kendall Wright. You know, a guy I really liked coming out of Baylor, but very limited. Look at the weapons that he's had. And then they say, oh, well, we're going to bring Jake Locker in. And they bring Jake Locker in, and you saw what happened there. So I, I just it, – it, it amazes me just the, the the double standard, the paradigm, you know, the glasses that people look through when a certain quarterback is, is under center as opposed to another one. That, that's that's really it for me. You look at how much time Alex Smith got to develop into the in, in the league, man. The, the guy was inactive for one year. He, he was beaten out before he was inactive. And I know I'm going on a rant, but before he was inactive, let's let's think about this. He was beaten out by J.T.O. Sullivan. <laughs> but this guy was still given a chance to come back. He was beaten out by Sean Hill, but he was still given a chance to come back. Why can't Vince Young get that chance when he did more with less? Why can't Geno Smith get an opportunity when he didn't even get a chance. Why, why can't that happen? I mean, that's that's how I look at it. And, I mean, regardless of what these guys have surrounding them, there's plenty of talented quarterbacks out there. I'm not trying to hear that, uh, you know, there's a a, a, a a drought as far as quarterbacks are concerned because there's plenty out there that could play, but not all of them don't get a chance. You know, Gerard Evans, Dalen Williams, we could go on and on. To quickly address one thing you said, it's conditioning. Uh, yes, Dak and Carson are going to be connected forever. In week six of the season of this year, Carson Wentz went up against Cam Newton. They're both four and one. I heard on that broadcast at least three times them say MVP candidate Carson Wentz. And the following week, they played a Monday night game, and every time they mentioned his name, MVP candidate. You never heard that about Dak Prescott once with very similar numbers and the same record. It's conditioning. They want you to think a certain thing, even when it's not true. And it's fine if both were set MVP candidate, but one wasn't until maybe week never, and the other one was in week six of the season. Amen. And uh, just to, to tie a bow on, on all of this, uh, you guys all gave some 
classic examples as to what I'm talking about. You look at Geno Smith in 2014 with the Jets. He went out there with, with Eric Decker, Stephen Hill, and an easy-bake oven. Uh, and then in 2015, you know, Brandon Marshall, <laughs> Brandon Marshall comes out there and, and you know, he gets punched in the face. Um, Geno Smith does. Can't play. Loses his job by default. Um, and we never get to see Geno Smith with, with anything around him. Uh, so the narrative is he's a bad quarterback, and he never gets that weapons excuse that these other quarterbacks have gotten. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, he played just 12 games in 2016 uh, because he came into the, the, that season with the shoulders after the shoulder surgery. Uh, you know, he had, a at the end of the season, a quarterback rating of 90.7 through 16 touchdowns, through just four interceptions. And uh, his receivers, I'm just going to list them out, Torrey Smith, Quentin Patton, um, Jeremy Curley, but it's no excuses at all for Colin Kaepernick. He's a bad quarterback, and that's why he's not in the league anymore. Uh, you know, then you, uh, you they, they say he, uh, you know, the narrative around Colin Kaepernick is he needs the read option. He's a read option quarterback. First off, there's no such thing as a read option quarterback. Um, that's not a thing. <laughs> so um, that, that narrative uh, is still out there. People actually still believe that Colin Kaepernick needs a certain offense to thrive in, and that's not necessarily true. Uh, 2011, you had, uh, Cam Newton. He's always had Greg Olson. Uh, he had Steve Smith for a little bit. Um, but then after that, he really hasn't had too much until recently. Now they finally went ahead and got him some weapons in this past draft. Uh, but after seven seasons in the NFL, he, he's got more weapons now, uh, than he's ever had. Uh, and even after all the success he's had going to the Super Bowl, things of that nature, uh, there's still doubt about his accuracy, ability to win from the pocket, but you all saw what he just did to the Dolphins on Monday night, didn't you? So uh, carved them up pretty good. And he had a couple passes there that kind of made me stand up out of my seat uh, there at the stadium. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, I, I think an article was just uh, about three or four weeks ago was re released on NFL.com uh, about the Eagles nailing it on Carson Wentz. This is his second season in the NFL. It, it seems to be that there's a low bar when it comes to white quarterbacks about their success. And the second they start having success, it's they're a, shoot, they're a sure thing, you know, that, that's it. They're the best thing ever. There are still questions for some reason about Cam Newton and there shouldn't be. He took a team to, to the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz has yet to do that. And there's articles out about him being a sure thing and how the, the Eagles nailed it uh, on him. Uh, Cam threw for more yards and more touchdowns in his rookie season. Uh, than, than Carson Wentz did. And there was still more of a wait and see approach to evaluating his play compared to Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz got that, oh, well, he doesn't have any weapons excuse that we all just talked about a bit ago. Um, even a, a former Eagles quarterback in Donovan McNabb, uh, the, the city of Philly, I mean, and we talked about this earlier, Teron, the city of Philly never really fully embraced Donovan McNabb. They booed this man on draft day, right? So he, while he might have, you know, thrown for fewer yards than, than Carson Wentz in his first full season as a starter, uh, but he had more touchdowns than Wentz did. Uh, kept drives alive uh, with his legs. Um, you know, he, he was exceptional. Uh, he, if he didn't perform well in Philly, that, that city would have eaten that man alive. And thankfully, he did, uh, despite not having much around him. This man had James Thrash. <laughs> As one of his key wide receivers, that's we George. used to call him back in the day. We used to call him James Trash, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we used to call him. So I mean, he he wasn't that good of a receiver. Uh, Todd Pinkston, those guys. Uh, Freddie Mitchell. Freddie Mitchell. Thank you. 
Right, Fred X. Um, you know, I'm not gonna call Freddie Freddie trash. I'm not gonna do that. But uh You don't have to, I will. It's all right. <laughs> I, I, I don't recall a time where Donovan McNabb's performance was pardoned by a lack of weapons the way that Carson Wentz play has been. So those are the double standards. That's the hypocrisy that black quarterbacks are forced to deal with and they're routinely forced to thrive without weapons, but no one, it, the conversation isn't as nuanced when it comes to black quarterbacks, unfortunately. So I'm supposed to ask my question here, but I'm actually take us on a quick little journey through the last seven drafts. And I'm going to use something Emory said a little earlier. You got to work twice as hard to get half as much. So let's look at the 2011 draft, and we're just going to go in order. I'm only going to talk about the first round. Yeah, Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. Those three dudes I named after Cam Newton did nothing in college to warrant a first-round pick. Cam Newton won a national championship and literally was one of the best college quarterbacks or best college players, period, in modern history. We've seen what he's done since and what those guys have done since. 2012. So Andrew Luck was literally little baby Jesus, so we're going to leave him out of the equation. But Robert Griffin III, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon Whedon. Again, Brandon Whedon, let's not even talk about that. Emory and I actually had a conversation about him several years ago where, yeah. Um, but Robert Griffin III, he was voted the 14th best player in the league by his peers, and people forget about that. By the way, he also won the Heisman that year. That's why he won the first round. We look at 2013. This is the anomaly year where E.J. Manuel went first and then Geno Smith went in the second round. But every quarterback in that draft, they didn't have a guy to, to rise up. It was Mike Glennon, Matt Barkley, Ryan Nassib, Taylor, uh, Tyler Wilson, Landry Jones, Brad Sorensen, Zach Dysart, and B.J. Daniels, Sean Renfrey. They literally didn't have if, – if they could have had any semblance of a pulse of a guy to put in front of E.J. Manuel, they would have. But E.J. Manuel was literally a politician – type guy as far as his personality. Very personable. So that's why he went high. First round guys, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater. You got a dude wearing fake noses going to Vegas and Johnny Manziel. You got a dude in Blake Bortles who can't hit an open receiver to save his life. And then poor Teddy Bridgewater gets shoved down because he's not marketable. 2015, James Winston won a national championship, if I'm not mistaken. He went number one overall, but you got Marcus Mariota. To me, he deserved it as well. But then 16 is very upsetting to me because Paxton Lynch got drafted in the first round. I'm going to leave that right there. And then the two guys that they talk about all the time. In 2017, how did Mitchell Trubisky, who didn't do anything, and this is not anything against him, but how did he go in front of Deshaun Watson, who made Alabama look silly for two straight years and won a national championship? Again, all the black quarterbacks that go in the first round, other than E.J. Manuel, won national championship, Heisman Trophy or something like that, while you have these other guys who literally have won nothing and they're going in the first round. I'm just going to leave it there. Carson Wentz is literally the only one to win a championship in that entire span. No, nah, you, you make a great point because think about this too. Jared Goff, only winning Thanks. season at Cal was his senior season. He went 75 and had Weston Stillhammer not got kicked out with that targeting rule in that bowl game, they probably lose that bowl game to Air Force. So – it's just amazing, and that, now that you think about think about it, wow! Newton won a national championship. RG three won a Heisman, and had Baylor had his best football season in decades. Baylor was a doormat for a long time. I want to say since that 
1990 uh, John Hancock Bowl. Remember that that joint before they went over to the Sun Bowl? Yeah. Um, so uh, you also have um, uh, Jameis Gino, Winston. Jameis Winston won a Heisman and that's championship. So, and you talked about Watson. And you also look at a guy like, I mean, he, they didn't go in the first round, but Cardell Jones won a national championship. You also look at a, a kid in, in Pat Mahomes through uh, had, you know, his he stepped up in big games against big time opponents. You can say that about any one of these other guys. Like Deshaun Kaiser had Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, but people only focus on last year when they played with a bunch of freshmen. Oh, he went four and seven, four and eight, but they forget the ten and two year when he got them to the Fiesta Bowl, and and they had to beat like three ranked teams to get there. So I just find that fascinating that this is the discussion that we have. And I think two guys you have to mention, because when we talked about uh, the 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 one draft, I think it was the Andrew Luck draft with, with 2012. Robert Griffin. Brock Osweiler yeah. was in that, that draft as well, was he not? He was. He actually was the next quarterback taken out of the first round. He was taken the second round. Right. Brock Osweiler was taken in front of Russell Wilson. Right, and then you, you have Ryan Tannehill who was taken in the first round there as well. But yep. let, let's let's use Brock Osweiler as a case study here. This is a guy who – what did he do to warrant a contract of $70 million? What did he do, right? So you, you have a, a guy in Osweiler who had weapons. I mean, <laughs> Bebe Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders – it, those are 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 weapons, you know. And he had the defense, but his job was taken by, you know, Peyton Manning at that Super Bowl year. And the next year, he goes out, he signs seventy seventy million dollar deal, and you have another franchise that pays him sixteen million dollars, you know, to get rid of him, and he's back in Denver. Mike Glennon is another one continues to get these opportunities. Obviously, they chose to bench him for Mitch Trubisky, but what really did he do in Tampa to warrant a deal that would give him $16 million? So it goes back to what we said about getting these opportunities. And it's just interesting to me how these guys who have these traits, these attributes, get these opportunities when others – or multiple opportunities when others – who have just as desirable traits, if not more, don't get an opportunity. But it's funny because you mentioned uh, those guys, and, like, I'm glad you brought up Glennon, and all he had to do was just not die and stand behind James Winston. And, oh, and they for, they would was able to wipe his slate clean. You know, the fact that he led them to the number one overall pick to help get James Winston with the combination of him and Josh McCown, I believe. So – they wiped that slate clean. It was like, yeah, you know, he he was able to sit back and learn, you know. So I mean, yeah, he could be a starter. I mean, he did his numbers plate was was okay. Funny how they look at his numbers and say, well, you know, he only threw nineteen touchdowns and, and nine interceptions. So his touchdown interception ratio wasn't bad. But all you hear about Kaepernick's touchdown interception ratio is that well, you know, they still went one in ten, and you know that he he was just throwing a lot of dump offs. But you never hear that he took a team to a Super Bowl nearly two which is still in a sense that if Ryan Tannehill or Mike Glennon or Josh McCown or uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick would have taken a team to the Super Bowl, 
they would have statues outside of the stadium already, you know, and it's funny because that guy did that and he can't get a job, but also they're still questioning whether or not his, you know, whether or not he has a, the validity to, of being a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, despite a track record of success. These guys literally have to go to the Super Bowl to get an opportunity. You know, I, it's just, it, it's mind blowing to think like, wow, this is, this is eye opening, you know, and it's funny because it's literally, damn, we have to be the best in order to be considered okay. Yeah, that, that's funny uh, that you say that, Emory, because I remember just browsing through Twitter during the national championship game with Deshaun Watson and, uh, you know, going against Alabama there and people talking about, oh, yeah, he's got he's to beat Alabama tonight. He's got to have a great performance against Alabama tonight to be considered uh, a first-round draft pick. To be considered a first-round draft pick, first off, he got to the national championship game the year before. And he still he has to beat Bama. Meanwhile, Mitchell Trubisky does absolutely nothing. Doesn't do great in his bowl game at all. Gets picked off, loses the game, and he goes ahead of Deshaun Watson. What are we doing here? What are we doing? These are types of things that absolutely have to change. I mean, it's it's something that's systemic, clearly. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, I think this week, this past Sunday was the first Sunday he looked like he even had a pulse out there as a quarterback. Um, doesn't mean that he had a good game by any stretch of imagination because he didn't. He was still terrible. But he at least looked like he could. He may be a quarterback at some point. Yet, from the moment that he stepped foot on the field, the narrative has been Chicago's found their guy. Chicago's found their guy. It's clear. This is Chicago's guy. They found their guy. He's going to be great. Yet, there's been nothing Nothing that that proves that he's going to be great. The only thing we know for certain is that Chicago's got a pretty darn good defense that's keeping them in games, and they've got a quarterback that can't win a game for them. But that's Gene, what about that know. that trick play against Minnesota on Monday night? Oh, that's right, I forgot that. Yes, I, I, I failed to mention the fact that he was able to catch an option pass um, to 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 get a touchdown on that, or the fact that you know a special teamer had had as many touchdown passes as he did through like three weeks. It, it's just really sad when you think about that and the fact that he's played so horribly and yet the narrative is, oh, they found, this, they found their guy. But Deshaun Kaiser has played much better than he has. Not to say that Deshaun Kaiser has played well, but he's played better than he has. And it's, well, who's the, who are the Browns going to take at quarterback? Like, no, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser needs the same weapons the same way that you're saying that Mitch Trubisky needs the same those weapons. Deshaun Kaiser's out there playing with wide receivers who were not number twos. They were number threes on other teams and number fours on other teams. And they keep getting hurt. With all due respect to all due respect to Steve Smith and um and who he was with Carolina. Cam Newton didn't get prime Steve Smith. He got he got the last couple of years of 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 Steve Smith there before he went on to be what he was in 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 um in Baltimore. But after Steve Smith, I mean, what, what did they give him? And yeah, they went out and got some. They got they got weapons for him, right? They got a they got a running back 
who they refused to actually let be a running back full time. Then they got another running back who they're trying to convert into a wide receiver who just got hurt for the season the first time he got an opportunity to really play a lot of minutes. And now we're back to um, a converted tight end to a wide receiver and a um, converted slash quarterback into a wide receiver as the two outside weapons for Cam Newton. And, and that isn't even going to Russell Wilson and what they've done with Russell Wilson up there and how he's still throwing the guys who are not number one receivers who they keep trying to masquerade as number one receivers. Yet, if you look down at, um, if you look down at like, say, um, the Lions, they keep giving that man receivers. They keep giving him receivers to throw to. It's like, can, can, can you keep a Golden Tate in pocket so that Russell Wilson can throw to a Golden Tate? Can you add somebody to the fold? You know, with a first round pick or with a, a hell with a second round pick that might be able to be a legitimate number one for that man to throw to for the next five or six years or however long he lasts before he finally gets hit one good time where they don't throw the flag because they don't like to throw the flag for running quarter for quarterbacks who are running who are black because oh well they put themselves in harm's way. But if you breathe on Drew Brees the wrong way. He gets a he gets a flag thrown on him. So I think that we see the hypocrisy. Um, we we see that it's not a level playing field when it comes to those things. And and I brought it a little bit off on that, and I'm glad we went into what we just did because I don't think that the the populace who will listen to this actually realized how good your resume has to be to go in the first round if you're a black quarterback. Like it it, it has to be a plus plus summa cum laude from 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 Harvard good to go in the first round. But my question is actually going to be on the back end because there seems to be a level of, uh, shall we say, an abyss that happens to uh, black quarterbacks. So my question is secondary call-ups. Why do we see very few black quarterbacks get a call-up around, let's say, age 30? Well, it's simple because we, we've talked about it at nauseum. You have to be twice as good to get half as much. You have to literally go to a Super Bowl in order to be considered a baseline level NFL quarterback. You can't just be Mike Glennon and be a backup and then get handed a starting job. So if you're not going to the Super Bowl within your first three years, you will be out the league. RG3 is out the league. He is not even considered good enough to be a backup. Yet Mike McGlone, a whole pack of average to trash quarterbacks just got signed in Houston. Matt McGloin, uh, TJ Yates, and you got Savage out there too. So, But RG3 is probably healthier now than he was when he played, you know, does not even get to be a clipboard holder. And you always saw the same two or three, or maybe three or four black backup quarterbacks get rotated around the league. You know, you had Jason Campbell, you had Charlie Batch was always around, um, you had uh, David Garrard, you know, Thad Lewis. That's that's it. Maybe Tavares Jackson. So that's four. So that, there's your pack of black, black quarterbacks. And they, sometimes they play on the same team. You know, sometimes you have, you know, first half Tavares Jackson be on, on one team sideline, then the second half be on the other team sideline because they probably need a backup. So they, they shared they least black quarterback backups. But in all seriousness, guys that are young don't even get the chance to be backups. Like, and – that's the sad part because 
and we'll get to this question in a minute about guys that didn't not really guys that didn't get a fair shake but where if, if you were a first round quote-unquote bust right say you're Achilles Smith why couldn't he be a backup right why couldn't Andre Ware who I thought didn't get a fair shake you only get him out there for, for eight games why couldn't he be a long time backup in the NFL you know why couldn't Damon Allen be a backup in the NFL he has to go and and become an all-time great in the CFL so you know, I, I that's just my take. Oh, you have to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback to be a backup if you're a black quarterback. And, and that's true. And there's some there's some case studies out there that I look at that are very telling. Um, I take you back to um, pre. This is before Tom Brady was Tom Brady. Um, he had come off winning the winning that Super Bowl, and the next year he had a backup quarterback by the name of Michael Bishop. Michael Bishop from Kansas State, what I don't even I don't even know how he ends up as a backup because he was electric at Kansas State, but he ends up as a backup on New England. And in the preseason, Michael Bishop is putting on a show. I happened to be in New England at the time, and literally when this dude came in, people just stood up in the stands. Because every play was a highlight. You know, him extending plays with his feet, because obviously he's playing behind the second and third string linemen. You know, um, extending the plays with his feet. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's throwing the ball down. Touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. He doesn't even make the roster. They cut him. Why, Why does a guy like that get cut? Because you can't have a guy that's electric like that backing up somebody as vanilla as Tom Brady. Remember, at that time, Tom Brady was not being asked to win games. Tom Brady was being asked to manage the offense because they had an elite-level defense and they had a great running game. He was being asked to manage. It wasn't until years later where they actually allowed Tom Brady to be the Tom Brady that we know and love now. And so when you look at something like that and you say, well, man, you know, Michael Bishop gets cut from New England, well, what does that do? That's the perception. Well, if he can't play for... If he can't play for, you know, New England and back up a a world championship team, then surely he can't be, you know, a player for for us. He I never remember him catching on with any other team. Um, I'll keep it with New England, and I'll go with the man out of out of Grambling, Bruce Eugene, who had one of the highest Wonderlick scores, um, ever recorded. And at that time, there was a lot of the narrative about. Well, the intelligence of the black quarterbacks. Um, this was around the time that Vince Young's Wonderlick score got leaked, and he had a low Wonderlick score, and they tried to use that as a way to de- to demean him. Bruce Eugene had like a fifty or something on the Wonderlick, and he went out there and he 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 understood the playbook. He ran an efficient offense. He didn't stick. Why doesn't he stick? Why doesn't he get an opportunity? But now the narrative starts. If you can't be a backup for them then hey you probably can't be a backup so you look at a lot of these a lot of these a lot of these black quarterbacks who get the opportunity as young they're normally guys who have a lot of pizzazz about them they're, they're normally guys who can make things happen they're excitable guys if you want to make sure that your starter has all the security in the world you can't have him with a backup that could take his job that's what happened to Alex Smith Alex Smith got 
got got taken advantage of because his backup was more dynamic than he was. Mm-hmm. That got him out of that got him out of town, and that 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 became the rise of Colin Kaepernick. Um, look at what Russell Wilson did in in Seattle. He came in, he was more dynamic. Luckily for Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll was fresh on the scene, and so he didn't care that they spent money on a quarterback. He was going to play the guy who gave him the best chance to win. And Russell Wilson was able to take a job from a guy who had just gotten a bunch of guaranteed money put in his hand. But when you look at that and you say, hey, if I want my, if I, if I want my starting quarterback to feel comfortable, to feel safe, do I really want a backup quarterback that makes him look bad? No. And so these guys who have that dynamic ability, they almost get pushed aside. With the exception of right now, who are the guys that you can name that are black backups? Um, Josh, Josh Johnson, Geno Smith, um, Geno Smith, Webb, um, down in, in Carolina as the number three guy who also serves as a special teamer wide receiver. And, a, and a wide receiver for most, you know, for half the time as well. You can't find a lot of black quarterbacks who are the plus side of 30 or even at the line of 30, because a lot of those guys put a lot of fear in the starting quarterback, um, eyes and, maybe has a little bit of resentment in the locker room because those other players look at that guy and they go, look, that guy could give us a better chance to win than the guy that we've got out there, and they don't want to do that. By the way, Bruce Eugene got the same Wonderlick scores as me. He had a 41, which is outstanding. I just knew it was ridiculous. I just knew it was a ridiculous number, that's all. I tell you, humble brag. Earlier, you guys touched on the uh... – the intelligence, actually, Gene, you you touched on that, and uh, I tell you what was interesting. We had a conference call with Dak Prescott, and uh, one of the guys asked him what he did to suddenly become a legitimate NFL prospect, and, and Dak kind of laughed at it, and he he said that he felt like he got better. Uh, but the thing that he felt was really underrated about him was his football intelligence, you know, how he could pick up any scheme and how he could do well in, in any scheme. So when you look at guys getting a second chance, I think a lot of times these guys like Brian Hoyer, these guys like McCown, these guys like Fitzpatrick, you know, Fitzpatrick. Oh, he's a, he's a a Harvard grad, so he's he's got to be intelligent. Yet you have a rocket scientist, literally a rocket scientist, and Josh Dobbs, who suddenly becomes someone that may not be able to process an NFL playbook. I don't get that part. So my point is, when you look at these guys, they say, oh, you know, they're smart. They could help. Uh, the, the guy they can help groom the guy and they're they're a good teammate and and they're winners it's such an exaggeration of the things that people want in a backup quarterback when you look at a lot of these guys who just take their tour around the NFL stealing from teams because said team thinks that this guy is so smart and that this guy will help them so much uh, develop the starter. So I, I think when, when it comes to second chances, a lot of uh, black quarterbacks don't get that because the intelligence that they have 
is severely underrated. And, and that's that's the issue, really, for me. I, I think that's that's what what uh, these GMs overlook when, when they're looking at guys like, uh, again, a Vincione. You know, when they're looking at guys who are out there, you know, Geno Smith, you know, everybody calls him stupid because of the incident that happened in, in, in the locker room. But nobody calls Ben Roethlisberger stupid because of, you know, how he trapped that young lady in, in, in the restroom. Let's call a spade a spade, you know. And, and it just kills me how there is a double standard, and, and that's a perfect example. So the, the, the way that these guys can impact a locker room is overlooked. Um, when it comes to the black quarterbacks, and it's overvalued when it comes to guys like like Brian Hoyer. I know that a lot of people will listen to this and kind of, you know, say, well, there, there's, and try to trivialize this. Like, oh, there's real, this isn't a real issue. You know, and they'll bring up examples of black quarterbacks that have kind of gotten that call up. But by comparison to their white counterparts, it doesn't happen. And that's why you had Cordell Stewart, who cannot get a, you know, paying job on television anymore uh, because of the blow up he had on ESPN when he started talking about black quarterbacks not getting their call up after the age of 30 or once their their start days as a starter are over. He got heated. You can go and YouTube it. I think it was he was on first take or before it was called first take and he brought the issue to the forefront. He got emotional over it. You really haven't seen him on TV since then. Um, so this is a real issue, and you can't tell Cordell Stewart that this isn't a real issue because he lived it, and a lot of quarterbacks that look like him lived it. So you can't tell other people how to feel. This is a real thing. It happens. Uh, now, I'm going to delve into you know, the issue of these quarterbacks not getting an opportunity past 30 a lot of the times, and I got an opportunity to speak to a few agents about this as well. Um, why this happens often, um, and it makes a lot of sense is that when these quarterbacks come in the draft, you know, and uh, a lot of these quarterbacks that don't necessarily pan out, well, who's picking these guys up to go to team uh, meetings prior to the draft or, you know, interviews prior to the draft or workouts prior to the draft is the G is the, uh, you know, the quality control guy, or it's the, um, you know, uh, assistant uh, head coaches, all these, these guys that aren't head coaches yet. You know, the, the guys that kind of make the teams, you know, work, to do the dirty work under, you know, behind the scenes is those guys. So they, they come and pick these guys up at the airport. They become friendly with them. They get to know them. It becomes a matter of who they're familiar with. Who's their friend? Who have they talked to about the offense and the schemes that they run? So when these guys do become head coaches, who are the people that they think of? It's the people they're familiar with. It's the people that they've built relationships with. These guys are essentially stealing money. They don't deserve the jobs that they get a lot of the times, and they get it based off of who they know and who knows them. It's not necessarily who's the best man for the job, and that's essentially a microcosm of America. That's the way corporate America works. That's the way businesses run in the, in the United States of America. That's just the way things go. The best person does not always get the job, and the NFL is no different. This is not a meritocracy, and this is something that people have to stop believing in. Uh, it, it's not the best person that gets the job. It's who you know and who knows you. I'm glad I asked this question because I got excellent responses from my, my cohorts. I majored in double major finance and economics. I had a sports economics class, and 
there was actually a report and it had to do with the NBA in the early 2000s. And it was a very interesting report because more than 50% of the league was of African-American descent. Would anyone like to guess what percentage of the 12th men at that time in the NBA were black? I'll answer it really quickly. Zero. Actually, every 12th man on every team was white. It's a position where they could make a solid living, not ever have to be burdened with playing. They get to practice because they were good enough to make shots and be a good practice player. And this is the situation. This position, this call-up position is generally one where you're going to be a backup or that third stringer on a team that carries the quarterbacks, and it's a good position. You generally, until recently, don't have to play if you have Drew Brees in front of you or Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's, a, it's a very cushy position. It's almost like an exec-level position in some uh, respects. And these guys are NFL veterans for seven, eight, nine years, so they're not getting – 250 grand. No, no, no. They're getting solid money. You know, 1.5, $2 million. That's not a little bit of money. I'm going to give you a few examples, and and I don't want to overstep onto the next topic, but just a few examples of guys that haven't really gotten, you know, that secondary call-up because they always say, let's say a Brandon Whedon. Oh, he went in the first round, so, you know, we can extract that talent. What about Jamarcus Russell? Did Jamarcus Russell go in the first round? Pretty sure he went number one overall. Did Jamarcus Russell you know, beat women? Did Jamarcus Russell go to prison? Did Jamarcus Russell do certain things? No. Jamarcus Russell, upon advising by his own parties, sat out because of a money dispute, got there. He did pretty well at a certain point. Then they brought in the Carson Palmer situation and Jamarcus Russell was done. So, okay, it didn't work out. Jamarcus Russell will get a second job, right? No. Jamarcus Russell at one point wrote to all the NFL teams in the entire freaking league saying he would play for free just to get an opportunity to get back on the field. And this damn man was given zero opportunity. Yet you got a guy like Ryan Leaf, who literally at one point was moving freaking weight, who gets every doggone opportunity. It's right there in your face, folks. I don't understand how you're not seeing it. This position, this, thir- this post-30 and why, you know, Cordell Stewart, who, like Brandon said, lived it, why we're having this whole podcast. That is the quote-unquote cushy job. It's the opportunity for you to get there, share your knowledge, be on the team, contribute in a way, and make good money, and they're not getting these call-ups. Or it's the same handful of people getting these call-ups to Charlie Batches of the world. It's a real thing, folks. What's interesting, man, is that, you know, we're we're on the back end of our our topic. And, you know, before we wrap it up, who are some of the black quarterbacks that you can recall – not getting that fair shake. Yeah, I think for me, I apologize. I think for me, I remember um, a guy like Isaiah Stanbeck from um, Washington, I believe, um, was so dynamic at Washington. I thought really had an opportunity to be, you know, um, a, a dynamic guy. Still had some development to do, but I believe that he had the skills, the requisite skills to. Um, be a if not a a starter, at least a backup in the NFL as a quarterback who never got a chance. He ended up being a wide receiver for um Dallas, but again, he was only an okay to average, you know, um wide receiver, and he and he never really, you know, he he didn't last as long as you would have expected 
if he would have been a backup quarterback, maybe had an opportunity to you know advance his skills, and then you see what he would be able to do after he had a chance to mature into that position at the pro level. Um, another guy for me, obviously, and 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 I don't think I got a chance to talk about him, but I, I thought that even though he had a chance to play. I don't think Sean King ever really got the legitimate chance that he should have had as a quarterback in the in the NFL. He came from a passing offense. Um he came into the league, he got thrown into the he got thrown into the fire and then he got thrown in the trash essentially. He got thrown in the fire. He he got a team into the playoffs, had him had him right on the brink and then he got thrown aside for a quote unquote veteran guy. And then we didn't really hear from him anymore. He just bounced around, but never truly got another opportunity to do his thing. Well, for me, uh, I'll mention two guys. Uh, one, he never got a chance in the league. The other one was uh, a guy who got a chance. He showed that he could play and didn't really get another true opportunity. And, I mean, I'll kick it off with Charlie Ward. I'm sorry. When you lead your team to a national championship, you win the Heisman you are clearly one of, if not the best playmakers in in the uh, draft class, and, and you don't get drafted. I think that's a matter of not getting an opportunity. Charlie Ward, if, if, if put in the NFL, I, I really believe he could have done some things, especially if he was in the league now with the way these offenses are are. are or uh, these quarterbacks are allowed to use their athleticism a bit more and, and make plays. So I, I would say Charlie Ward. But another guy that I would have to mention is Aaron Brooks. And for me, you know, when I look at Aaron Brooks, he had a, a number of really good seasons with the Saints. Then he, he went to the Raiders and he had the injury and never really got a true opportunity to, to play there. Uh, you know, he got released after that season when he was injured. And he's a classic example of that guy that you say, okay, well, why didn't he get those additional opportunities? Why didn't he go somewhere else and, and other teams and, and be a, a backup quarterback? So those are two that I would mention. Yeah, Teron and, uh, and uh, Gene, I like the one that you mentioned, Isaiah Stanback. He was a guy I really had an eye on. Dude ran a 10, 400 meters, could throw it, had a nice arm on him. Um, and it's a shame he got hurt uh, that year. Um, he had a Liz Frank foot injury and wasn't able to kind of go into the whole postseason workouts and all that stuff and kind of show what he could do. So, um, And then the Dallas Cowboys took him as a wide receiver, which was, was highly unfortunate. I thought he had a chance to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Uh, also, um, a guy that a lot of people don't talk about was the, the other quarterback in Texas, uh, Reggie McNeil. Uh, he was a guy that I really liked, uh, you know, out, outstanding. So he could do a lot of things with the ball in his hand, um, you know, just when, when the play would break down. And, and he kept his eyes down the field to try to make the play down the field, um, you know, what, to get the ball to, other, to the receivers. And I really liked his game a lot. Uh, another quarterback that I really wish would have gotten a fair ch uh, shake in the NFL is uh, Omar Jacobs, uh, Bowling Green. Uh, he was a guy I was a, a fan of as well. And, to watch him do what he did against Wisconsin that one year, I mean, the kid could play. The kid could really, really play. I, I was a big fan of his game. So these are quarterbacks that, you know, we didn't get to see and we are cheated out of uh, getting a chance to see. Another one I was a big fan of uh, who didn't get a chance, you know, because of injury, and that's Braxton Miller. But 
we were wondering if he was ever really going to get that shot prior to the shoulder injury because people were already talking about him as a wide receiver before he even got hurt. So, um, you know, he probably would have been another Isaiah Stanback situation, unfortunately. And, and I'll leave a guy that uh, I'm, I'm sure Emory will bring up. He's already mentioned him once, but uh, I'm going to go to a guy that everyone's forgotten about, but he was the original Marcus Mariota, and that's Dennis Dixon out of Oregon. I don't think people realize Dennis Dixon, you know, you say, okay, well, was he accurate? Yeah, he completed 67% of his passes in two different seasons. Uh, all right, well, yeah, it, only injury derailed his uh, his career uh, late, but it's not like you can't come back. It's not like it's 1974 and you can't come back from a knee injury. He came back fine. Uh, he just never was granted an opportunity to actually show what he could do, but he threw 20 touchdowns and four interceptions in his last year prior to injury. It never got a chance, never got a look. I never saw him in a preseason game, anything. So that, that would be the guy. And then another guy is actually playing in the NFL right now, and hopefully he gets a look since his old coach brought him from uh, the city that just got rid of their black quarterback to uh, a new environment. Well, it, it's interesting, man. There's so many quarterbacks, dude, and, and you guys brought up some good ones. As you guys were naming them, I was marking them off. We talked about Michael Bishop. Sean King was another one. Omar Jacobs I had written down. Uh, but there's a couple. And the Aaron Brooks one just really, you know, growing up in New Orleans and, and being in New Orleans at that time, uh, Brooks was really railroaded. I mean, he was the guy that led the team to their first ever playoff victory. Uh, and that was something unique for New Orleans because – they had two black quarterbacks on the roster. Jeff Blake started the season, gets hurt, in comes Brooks, and picks up right where the Saints, uh, where, where Blake left off, led him to the playoffs, and beat the Rams in the playoffs um, before his whole team was hurt, and he went up to Minnesota and lost that game to the Vikings in, in the Metrodome. So, and all you heard, all the success Brooks had, all you heard from people was he can't read defenses, and the one, yeah, exactly, the one bad play he had uh, where he threw the ball backwards. That was the, that's all people talk about now when you br bring up Aaron Brooks, who's now in the Saints Hall of Fame, by the way. Uh, but no one asked, why was your left tackle 10 yards behind you on the right side? You know, nobody asked that question. He thought that was Deuce back there. So, um, But some other quarterbacks to me, Adrian McPherson was awesome at Florida State. And, you know, I, I want to say it was his sophomore season or junior season, sophomore season, I believe, 12 touchdowns, one pick. Um, and that one pick was against North Carolina. And vividly, I remember that because it was Julius Peppers who took it upon himself to, to leave defensive end, go line up at free safety. <laughs> and, and if you're Adrian McPherson, like, well, well, hell, there's a dude wearing 49 back there. I'm going to throw that, throw that thing back there anyway. And, you know, dude picked it off. So, I mean, you can't blame him. But Adrian McPherson, Taj Boyd, should have been at least a backup or got an opportunity to play in the league. Joe Hamilton, another one. Um, he was the first Russell Wilson that didn't get a chance. People forget how good Torrey Woodbury was at Winston-Salem State, good enough to where he was one of those Mel Kuyper sleepers to uh, leading up to the draft and, and spent some time, didn't spend enough time in the league as a backup. A lot of these guys ended up playing in the CFL or in, uh, NFL Europe or the Arena League. Brandon Mitchell, Omar Jacobs, Chris Leak, and Kenny Guyton, two guys that are now coaching along with Torrey Woodbury. But these are your ideal backup quarterbacks, right? These are the guys that you want backing up your starter that can come in in the pinch, play well, like a JT Barrett will probably end up being your 
quintessential backup. He's not a starter. He's a spot starter type of a guy. Uh, Rohan Davey was another one that was on the, those Patriot teams. Those are guys that I think that, that really didn't get a fair shake because people expect – it all depends on what year you come in. You know, if you're Rohan Davey or if you're Tory Woodbury or Chris Leak, you're around that Michael Vick era. Oh, well, you got to be Vick in order to stick. If you're not Vic, you can't be, you can't be John Kitna. You can't be the black John Kitna. You got to be Michael Vick. Or if you're Adrian McPherson, you better be Aaron Brooks. You know, you got to be that guy. You got to be like him. So those guys, uh, and Bruce Eugene was another one I thought was, you know, he was with the Saints and was and was quietly going to be the black Chase Daniel, but they didn't, he was balling in the preseason, but they just didn't keep him. And he kept JT O'Sullivan instead. So there you have it. I, I mean, that's, the sad part about this whole whole deal man so as we wrap up this this podcast guys this series it's a simple question where do we go from here now that we got all this out on the table and all that out for the people to listen and, and digest gene where do we go from here i think where we go is we have to continue to we have to continue to point out the the hypocrisy I think we can't be quiet about it anymore. I think that's the problem is that for so long, people were so quiet about it. It was so hush. You know, it was, it was spoken amongst each other, but it wasn't spoken to the masses. And it wasn't laid out plain as day for people to see. One of the best, one of the best Twitter accounts, and I, and I don't care what people say, is, is Awful White QB. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting name because of, I think the name itself um, evokes um, it, it evokes controversy. But if you get past the name and you just look at the things that are being said, you know, from the account, they don't they don't do anything but just post facts, just the facts of of what's going on, and you can see it. It's plain as day. You can't hide from it. We need more people to put their names on it. We need more like quarterbacks to come out and speak about, you know, why am I expected to do this when X, Y, Z isn't expected to do it? And at first, they'll be called, oh, well, he's just crying and, and he's just whining and, and you know, he's, he's being a baby because that's how anybody who comes out against the establishment, that's the, that's the first thing they always say. But if we don't start putting it on wax, if we don't start bringing it to light, then nothing will change. And so when you ask me where do we go from here, I think it's on us. It's on, it's on coaches, um, especially minority coaches that see it happen to their players. And it's on the players to step up and start to call these things out. Call a spade a spade if necessary, but put it on the forefront so that we can no longer, um, so that people can no longer hide behind the things that we know are going on out in the public. You know, what, what I think it has to, has to happen is just a con, continued education. You know, I, I think it, it has to, you know, a light has to continue to be shown on the positive things that these guys do. That That's really a major thing. And, and for us who are in locker rooms getting to deal with quarterbacks, uh, it's important to have those talks with them. Like they need to understand that that there are people out there who who support what they do. Brandon, when when you talk to uh, Logan Thomas and and how refreshed he was when you told him that you understood or appreciated his plight, you you appreciated 
the fact that that he for the time being stuck to playing quarterback. Uh, you look right. at when I got to talk to Deshaun Watson, it, you know, the the expression on his face when I thanked him for playing quarterback, you know, talking to Everett Golson and, and just hearing him tell me how he refused to switch from another to another position because he wanted to play quarterback and just hearing him, you know, the, the, the pain in his voice when he talked about what he had to go through, you know, Warren moon, there's so many guys that, that, that you could point to that have been through these type of situations and understand what it is. Those are guys that have to come back and speak. We need more people reacting the way Cordell Stewart did when that question was posed to him. That pain that these guys go through, it needs to be shared so people can understand that it's real, it's authentic. It's really an issue. And I think that's the major thing. More books like what William C. Roden wrote, Fourth and, and a Mile, they have to be written. The plight of a black quarterback needs to continue to, to be preached about because it can't be something that is allowed to just be stomped away and, and, and pushed to the wayside. Just going back to what Gene was talking about before, about, you know, these quarterbacks have to kind of, you know, be willing to, you know, kind of die with their position. I understand what you were saying there. And I know that that is a, a tremendous burden to carry for a lot of these young quarterbacks because they're faced with going to the NFL, being able to provide for my family, or staking, staying with the position I know that I can play and going to Canada or somewhere else or another league to play for a couple of years, risking life and limb, you know, to play the position and not get paid as much. So you're trying to maximize your dollar. But at the same time, you also want to leave your legacy. You also want to, you know, leave behind, you know, blaze the trail for younger quarterbacks to come behind you and say, well, this person did it before me, so I'm also going to go this route. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in because I know that I can play the position. So basically what it comes down to is are we having a moment or are we experiencing a movement? And without sacrifice, you cannot have a movement. So this is what it comes down to. These guys do, unfortunately, these quarterbacks that come out right now that are kind of – said to not be NFL quarterbacks and not be ready to play in the NFL. These quarterbacks of color may need to go somewhere else to play their football for a little bit until the NFL says, you know what, this guy might be able to play for me. And then they get their chance. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of where we have to go from there. You know, you, you do, these guys may have to sacrifice a little bit in order to get their, their, their shot. I understand what Tyrod Taylor was saying. Uh, this kind of goes back to what he was saying in the interview. Uh, that he did uh, earlier in the season, that as a black quarterback, I feel like I have to be perfect. Imagine that. Everything you do, you have to be perfect in order to keep your spot. They've been trying to get Tyrod Taylor out the paint for a long time, and they finally did it. So, you know, just I just really think that in order for us, you know, to, to have – more continued dialogue, and it, that's the only thing that's going to change this. We have to have more dialogue about it. People have to speak up, and then we need people on these larger platforms, such as uh, 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 um, Lewis Riddick, um, Bucky Brooks, who has continued to speak up on behalf of, of black quarterbacks, um, you know, routinely. So we, we need more people like that to speak up, and I think that uh, we'll have a movement here going forward, and things will get better. As Brandon just said, you know, awareness 
is definitely something and people who have a platform to provide that awareness again shout out to bucky brooks for for actually calling out a lot of things that he sees that others might not as much but just an example you know i went, I went to the greatest middle slash high school on the planet eleanor McMain secondary magnet school with emory and uh one of the teachers in seventh grade used a word that i had no clue what it was, it was puce it's a color so I learned that day puce, and then I heard it like a week later, and then I heard it like a month later. Prior to that day, I'd never heard the word puce. Puce existed before that. I just didn't have awareness of it. So for the people who aren't getting this from the people who have the platform, if you hear this podcast, if you come across some of the stuff we're saying and you weren't aware of this, now you are. So start to look for the signs. When you keep hearing the same descriptions, of, of black quarterbacks, or even try try this out. Just go to a draft guide or go to a website. Don't even look at the picture and just look at the descriptions and the words used and then play the game. Guess what race they are. I bet you you'll probably get 9 out of 10 right. Or when you don't see the guy that you saw in the preseason and you never see him again, but he looked pretty good. Keep these things in mind. Mark these things down. When you see the positives used for one person, and you're like, okay, this coach or this team really thinks these are positives. And you hear it uses a negative for another guy. You're like, wait, didn't you like that? So pay attention to these things. Just because you were ignorant to them, and ignorance isn't a bad thing, it just means you weren't aware, doesn't mean that you have to stay ignorant to them. So we're going to continue to bring awareness, and hopefully you start to pick up on it as well. Well stated, guys. And I mean, honestly, you could even – turn on a video game now to where you're going to hear things that we talked about described uh, describing black quarterbacks. And it's a shame because again, this is how you condition people to think that this is something that's always supposed to be. Um, So yeah, you're going to always hear from us. You know, we may, we may not do it all the time, but we will let you know when we do see it, you know, and and it's a shame that somebody got to step up and, and make it, you know, and let it be known. And that's what we're here for. That's what this podcast is for. Um, that's what this format was for. And that's what football game plan will strive to be. And we will call it out regardless. Uh, you know, we don't to today. We're talking about black quarterbacks tomorrow. We may be talking about white receivers or guys that want to play cornerback and, you know, being forced to move to safety. So you never know, but we will always be on the right side of right. And that's why I'm glad this group, this group crew and group, combined croup this group that we got together here on this podcast uh with football game plan will always bring you honest and fair and unbiased analysis and and tell you what's real and what's fake and that's why we are who we are and that's why we're going where we're going so that's it for this football cypher be sure to subscribe on itunes and leave us a five-star rating so for chris gene brandon and teron i'm emory hunt and this has been the football cypher